This is Talking Business. I'm joined now by Daniel Milford, who's the Managing Director of Chironics and also the founder, I think, aren't you, Daniel? Yes, I am, Alan. Yes, you are. Yeah. It's your business. Yes, it is. And um, uh, what does it do? Uh, we focused on human-machine teaming. So if you think of it about Human-machine teaming. Human-machine teaming. So we build efficiencies in organisations through allowing their personnel to team with machines. So are you a consultant or do you sell... Uh, sell stuff. We sell stuff and we also consult at this point. Um, So if you think about it, we do two key things. We do applied robotics, which is robotics as a service. And we also enable uh, people to interact with these robotic solutions through wearable devices. So we currently... These are Google Glasses. Yeah, Google Glass is one of our products that we're partnered with uh, Google Exxon for the last two years. We've been partnered with them. And so we manage the EMEA region, so Africa, Middle East and Asia. And we build the core software. So if you get down to the guts of it, we're actually software engineers and system integrators. That's our major focus. Right. But it all stems from a lot of the work that I originally did back in the military uh, when I was exposed to new technologies coming into service for the Army. And uh, What did you do for the military? What was your... A variety of roles. What was your job there? I, uh, the, the, the main role I had with the Defence Department was six years as a public servant. Where the majority of my time there, I was really doing capability development for the department, everything from uh, wideband global satellite-based applications, uh, which was part of capability development group, all the way through to supporting the Admiralty with their major intent as a director of technology solutions for Navy strategy executive. Did you actually run projects? I ran projects, yes, in capability development, but not in terms of the major acquisition part. I was the guy that did the needs and the requirements, figuring out what the department needed and making sure that we specified it correctly to go to market. So is it that capability that you've brought with brought into Chironex as... And, and bring to companies. Is that the idea? Uh, to a degree. Basically? So my background shapes the future vision. Um, I think if you look at Chironics with human-machine teaming, it's drawn from a, a, a number of things, but mainly, first of all, it's been informed by history. So we're in the fourth industrial revolution at the moment, and it's just gaining pace. Australia's a little bit behind, frankly, with what's happening in Europe and the United States. But if you consider the Industrial Revolution and the Luddite movement, where it was a big social movement destroying the machines which were displacing people in their roles and positions and jobs, uh, we're entering an age similar to that now. So it's really important we shape the future of our, of our workforces to actually be able to work with these new machines in a way that's meaningful and doesn't result in major societal or social shifts that don't actually reinforce what we're trying to achieve in business. That's where the origins of Currentx came from. We're really focused quite heavily on uh, people in the field, people doing work with complex machines in the field. So our major sectors tend to be uh, sectors such as defence, the resources sector, utilities, and a little bit of medical now as well. Presumably you're brought in by companies who have in their mind uh, reducing costs and reducing human costs in particular. Not necessarily. They are all obviously seeking a return on investment. Um, and that can be in a, in a myriad of ways, uh, but often we're doing dirty, dear, uh, or uh, dangerous tasks for our clients. In the case of the work we've been doing with the US Navy's Office of Naval Research, our role there was to build an autonomous uh, casualty evacuation system, which basically was a robot that would arrive at a location where someone's injured. The soldiers would load the casualty, whoever they were, a civilian or a combatant, onto the vehicle, and it would make its own way self-navigating back to a health support battalion. So how did you go about building that? 
Uh, well, there's a whole range of science and technology behind it, but uh, effectively we basically take a simulated environment first of all and prove that we can do it in our proof of concepts. Then we take smaller robots and demonstrate it in the real life and show that we can move from point A to point B with the robot making most of the decisions. And finally, we scale it up and get did you, a big But robot. did you make the robots? No, no. We purchase robots from you. you so you commission, you, you design the thing and commission it. We build the brain of the robot. Right. Yeah. So the robots we receive are dumb. They basically just have a computer on board, but they don't have any ability to interpret the environment uh, or to make decisions or to link to a command system. That's what we build. So you, you in, in effect, tailor robots to a particular task. We build behaviours for robots. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. So if you're uh, in agriculture and you want a robot to be persistently one and a half metres in front of you because it's towing a trailer full of seedlings, we're the people that builds that for you. We have an arsenal of IP, of behaviours that we're growing uh, throughout each week as we work with our clients, which we will in- endeavour to make available in the future to uh, all of our other clients as well. Very interesting. Yeah, it's been a great journey. It's been a really good journey. <laughs> and are you making money yet? Yeah, we're making money. Um, you know, we've been, we, I guess you'd term us as a scale-up, um, but when we opened our office in San Francisco last year, we were classified by the uh, venture capital um, groups within San Fran as a Series A and growing rapidly. Did you, did you raise Series A funding? We've never had to go out to market. We've been very lucky to you be... Mean, have you been cash flow positive? Cash flow positive from day one. Wow. Yeah, so it's um well that's that's a beautiful thing and far better than uh and taking know, money getting from a nice <laughs> getting a nice valuation from venture capital who will end up chewing you up and spitting you out. Yeah, it's been um I think we've been very fortunate with uh being involved in some very good enter- with some good enterprise clients uh that have a really interesting visions. Um, we've also targeted key areas where we know that there's going to be a demand for us. It's interesting. I mean, we are headquartered in Perth. I, I mentioned when I came in that I uh, just got off the plane from Perth here in Melbourne this morning. And you also mentioned that you're just going to jump on the plane back to Perth, back to Perth. After, uh, after, after the, the interview. interview yeah, I find that's the, the way. Um, you're a robot yourself. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> Try to be human so after you, 5 you, So you, you talked about the evacuation robot for yeah. the US Navy. Tell us another example of something you've done. Uh, well, basically, autonomous robotics in providing uh, stores, last mile logistics. A lot of our research at the moment is actually making uh, robots highly persistent and available. So if you think of uh, GPS denial, not in necessarily in, an, in a defence context, but even in an urban area, you may not get a full triangulation of where that robot is within the cityscape. So we're building software that's really focused on enabling that robot to navigate and uh, locomote throughout its environment successfully regardless of the loss of communications. So the mining companies engaging you to to organise for their trucks that are trying to navigate around mines? Mining companies are very interested in what we're doing. However, it's interesting with Perth, the mining companies are so big it's hard to get in the front door sometimes, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) which is the the, the truth of it. Um, And a bit ironically, uh, when we're dealing with the same companies headquartered in Australia, overseas with their US areas, it's a lot easier to get access. So I've found that with perhaps oh, it's the United really. States culture. So, yeah. you, so you're doing better overseas than you are in Perth and uh, in Australia? 
Well, our growth uh, has been underscored over the last 18 months by our domestic applications here in Australia, and it's been fantastic uh, to have grown from, you know, three people in uh, the end of 2018 through to what we are now, which is, you know, 21, 22 people at the moment. Um, Given the recent work that we've done for the US government and the upcoming contracts that we're finalising now, uh, it's evident that there's significant growth overseas where there is uh, a very high demand for the type of services that we provide, services and product that we provide. So you, you mentioned the Industrial Revolution and yeah. um, the Luddites. Um, so <laughs> now it's, it's often felt that the Luddites were misguided because um, in the end everyone had a job. Yeah. Um, but but it actually it took a while, right? It takes a while. And um, there's a lot so of fear. So there was a lot of, there was actually a lot of hardship yeah. and unemployment yeah. in the meantime until, you know, it might have been decades until the jobs actually arrived. Yeah. So it, it is actually binary, isn't it? It's, it isn't the situation that it's all happiness for everybody no. getting a robot in. It's um, it, it, people do lose their job. There, in the big industrial manufacturers of robotics for production line based activities, where Australia is actually not heavily exposed to that because we don't have a heavy manufacturing sector. But in those areas, yeah, there will be some automation of roles and jobs where there are routine uh, dull tasks, as we call them, uh, where those processes can be automated where possible. Um, and you're right, it does take a, a period of time to change and uh, look at new industry being incorporated and focus where those new roles are and train up for them. And that's been one of our uh, big insights. So I can't take a mechatronics engineer straight from university and put them into my company. I still have to train them for 12 to 16 weeks. So you're, you're writing software for navigation. Uh, we're writing navigation. For, 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 for robots to find their way around, right? That's that's one part of it. We're also writing software, as we mentioned before, with Google Glass for you as enabled to work with a robot, whether that's a physical robot in the field or something like Siri, like your Google Assistant. No, but what I was wondering was, do you think that um, uh, the, one of the jobs that will be replaced mm. in time will be driving. Oh, well, as you can see, the development of Tesla and other companies overseas, there's a lot of investment going into autonomous driving on the road. And yeah. inevitably, some of those algorithms are very advanced now. Uh, as you've seen with Tesla overseas, I think at the moment, uh, it may be actually more of a, a policy and governance issue at the uh, government level. Uh, rather than a technology issue in, in large capacity. Plus, the Im- what do you mean? That you, you think that governments will say you can't replace drivers? No, no. I've just found in general rules of thumb, and I've got a good old professor that used to mention this, uh, technology uh, evolves every three years. Um, policy generally evolves every 10 years, legislation and, and, and the likes. And infrastructure, it takes 50 to 100 years to evolve. Um if you were to oh, start, I see. yeah, that, that, that exactly how that's how I mean it. So if you look at the infrastructure nowadays, you, you know, you, you probably wouldn't design r- roads and tram systems the way that it is. So the 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 current impediment to the full implementation of driverless vehicles is the fact that we still have humans on the road. It could be binary; it could be all driverless and all humans. Except one it won't or the other. be, of course. Exactly. So there will be a mix of uh, technologies utilised in the future where it's useful. You know, is it useful having someone driving across the Nullarbor uh, in a road train or is it useful having a robot performing that function? But I think inevitably, back to the Luddite thing, I think we need to shape and build the right technology to empower us as people. Um, this cutthroat attitude 
to AI and robotics and being implemented into the workforce and purely look at it in the financial measures of an ROI, you will lose the sentiment of the people. And that's actually a lot of the work that we've been doing, making sure that human-machine teaming, back to our core philosophies, how can we work directly with a robot? Because robots aren't going to place the human. And to what extent, how important in that is going to be the wearables that you're talking about? Yeah, wearables is an interesting... Um, because what you're talking about is something that's displaying the the data in front of your eyes, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and is it also responding to voice commands? Yeah, so the great thing about devices like Glass from, uh, by Google is it's you're wearing a computer on your face that's got a, a heads-up display, but it's also got a camera and a microphone on the device. So it allows you to process some basic information. So we're using a, a variety of wearable devices at the moment to allow us to interact with um, uh, agents like Google uh, as the Assistant or the Siri from Apple. And from that, what you can produce are commands. Now, natural language processing, which is a large uh, bit of what we do here, it's still in its infancy in many ways. I think with the broader public and the discussions about AI and taking our jobs, etc., cetera, um, I think there's this belief that the technology is much more advanced than it actually is. It's still got a way to go. But I, that's why we have formed Chironics and, and why we're doing the work that we're doing to make sure we're part of shaping that journey for the future. Well, good for you, Daniel, and uh, thanks for joining us. I've gone a bit longer because you've flown all the way over from Perth and going to fly back again immediately. Thank but, you, Adam. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, I've been talking to Daniel Milford, who's the Managing Director and Founder of Chironics.